live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Is with one of the stranger things that I've ever seen in the association. Really weird play. And it was really good in the sense that it was really weird. Really good for team content. But really bad for Team Dallas Mavericks. You know how I always say that? Weird is good. Weird is good for team content. Yet generally, except for the team that it happened to, the Mavericks. So, if you saw this, you know what I'm talking about. If not, let me reset it really quickly for you. The Mavericks have the Warriors at home last night. If you're aware of the Dubs road record this season, even Bob Myers brought it up before I could get to it. If you're aware of their road record, it's really weird. They're not good at all on the road. In fact, they've been pretty bad on the road this year, Golden State. So you knew, and Dallas knew this, this was a great opportunity for them to get a win. A win they badly need since right now they're tied with the Lakers in the West, barely holding on to a play-in spot. But you know what really doesn't help you win games during the home stretch of the NBA season? Failing to guard your own basket. In fact, failing to guard your own basket will never help you win any NBA games during any stretch of any season. Failing to guard your own basket doesn't even work at your local run, at your local gym, or at the Y. It is not a winning strategy. That's not a play you want to incorporate. And yet, this is happening in the association. And yet, there were the Mavs, late in the third quarter of an enormous game, just giving away a free bucket. This would be the Knights to really look for those twos in attacking. Yo, what is going on? Uh, Dallas they, decided not to guard their own that, basket. That is awesome. <laughs> that's they, going they on were, Shaq of the Fool right there. They were all on the wrong side. That, that's their basket. That's the Warriors' basket. We just saw Jordan Poole dunk on that side. And the Mavs line up to defend on the wrong side. All right, so that's the start of nobody understanding what the hell is going on. Well, Golden what State did. What is going did. on? What's going on? What are we doing here? So a really bizarre play. So what happens here, I'll do my best to try and explain this. The Mavs come out of a timeout. They all head down to the other side of the court. Meanwhile, the Dubs come out and they they line up underneath the Mavs basket, right where the prior play ended. Jordan Poole realizes that the Mavs are completely out to lunch and starts to beg for the ball. The ref flips it to him. Poole flips it to Kevon Looney. Looney throws it down. The Mavs crowd groans collectively. What is going on? One of the weirder plays that I've ever seen in a basketball game that mattered. But bleep happens, right? You flush it. You move on. However, it is a little tough to just move on when that happens in a game that you end up losing by only two points which is, of course, exactly what happened last night, which is where this story is headed. Final score, scoreboard, look up at it. Dubs 127, Mavs 125. So, yes, they really lost by two points. And, yes, they were going to make a really big deal about it after the fact. I mean, if you want, you could try to argue that the Mavs effectively lost by those two points. That's what they're trying to argue. Those two free points... And then you can chase that with a giant, oh, and a slow-mo Carl Lewis while you're at it. I mean, the Mavericks, 
seriously lost a critical game by two points after giving away a free bucket in one of the strangest plays ever. Naturally, Mark Cuban was not amused. Cubes was not pleased. Cubes was heated. And when Cubes gets heated, he doesn't take his shirt off. He reaches for his phone. Reached for his phone, jumped on Twitter, and thumbed out the following lava. At M. Cuban, quote, For those wondering about the play with 154 to go on the third, let me explain what happened. The ref called Mavs ball. The announcer announced it. Then there was a timeout. During the timeout, the official changed the call and never told us. Then when they saw us line up as if it were our ball, he just gave the ball to the Warriors. Never said a word to us. They got an easy basketball. Crazy that it would matter in a two-point game. Worst officiating non-call mistake possibly in the history of the NBA. All they had to do was tell us, and they didn't. End of tweet. Quote, worst officiating non-call mistake possibly in the history of the NBA. Yo, that's bold. What do you think that's going to cost Cube? Man, I am so glad that he's as rich as he is. What do you think that's going to cost my dude? He also said the Mavs would be filing a protest with the league. So, that's Dallas' side of the story. As for the ref show, here is the explanation of crew chief Sean Wright. Quote, initially on the floor, the original signal was, in fact, Golden State ball, as this can be seen on video. There is a second signal, but that signal is for a mandatory timeout that was due to the Mavs. End of quote. All right, so again, super confusing, super convoluted. But when you check the footage, it all pretty much scans. In fact, when you check the footage, it's hard to figure out how it all got so twisted. The ref immediately and clearly signals Golden State ball, then points to the Mavs bench. Now, to Cube's point... Cuban says the PA announcer announced there was Mavs ball. But that doesn't officially mean anything. It might explain the confusion, but it doesn't make it official. The Mavs also say that there was a ref up the floor, seemingly in position to restart the play as the Dallas ball from a side out. All right, but the problem with that explanation is you cannot advance the ball in a timeout in the third quarter. Also, I know this is confusing as hell. Also, the ref that restarts the play needs to have the basketball to restart the play, and the ref that had the basketball was standing under the Mavs hoop, not on that side of the floor. Are you following all this? Are you keeping up with me? All right, listen. You probably need somebody. You're following me, camera guy. You're following me, microphone guy, radio guy, any guy. You probably need somebody more credible than me to explain it. Because if you're confused, you're not the only one. What is going on? Everybody's confused. I'm confused. I spent the entire morning trying to figure out how to explain to you all what went down last night. And this is what I've come up with. You know what? Let me go to a greater authority, way greater than myself. Jason Kidd, of all people, who has always seen the game differently than anybody else, 
we'll be able to clear this all up. Jay, explain exactly what happened, please. If there's confusion, it's easy to just come in and blow the whistle and, and get us restarted because it was confusion. Um, understanding that we thought it was our ball, um, the referee pointed uh, towards our bench, but that was the signal of the timeout. And so, um, but there was confusion on the play before it even started with whose ball it was, because he pointed, I thought, to us first, and then he changed it and then went to a timeout and pointed to us. So um, as I asked Mike, I said, Mike, why are you down the floor if you don't think if it's not our ball? And so um, there was quite a few people out of position on that play. It's, it's easy, it's, it's correctable, um, but you first have to admit there was a mistake. Oh, there you go. Why didn't I just say that? I should have just started right there because that cleared up exactly nothing. My man, I think I'm even more confused now than I was before. But I will agree with this much, quote, Quite a few people out of position on that play. I'll agree with that. I'll also agree with somebody's got to admit that somebody made a mistake. I mean, there's a mess down here in aisle four. Can somebody call someone? That's true. Somebody did make a mistake. And somebody's got to admit that somebody made a mistake. Let me try to cut through all of this one last time. First, in terms of the protest, because there's going to be a protest. A successful protest is incredibly unlikely in this scenario because it's incredibly unlikely in any scenario. There has not been a successful protest in the association since January of 08 when Shaq somehow fouled out with only five fouls. That one's pretty black and white, right? The incident last night is anything but. So good luck with the protest, Dallas. You're not going to win that. Here's another thing that I do know. The Mavs did not actually lose that game on that play. That seems pretty obvious. There's nothing confusing about that. It seems pretty obvious, but apparently it still needs to be said. They had an entire quarter after that play to go win that game. They had an entire game to win that game. That was just one weird play. One really weird play. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? That did not cost them that game. And here's one more thing that I know. They actually got over. They actually got a good break last night. One thing actually did go their way. They actually, instead of killing the ref show, should be thanking the ref show. They're lucky that Luca did not get his ass run 
on his first game back from injury for flashing a money sign at the ref in the fourth quarter. Or it would be the next game. Because when the guy went with that money sign, he was implying that they were on the take. He was, in fact, asking, who's paying y'all? He comes down from the second floor. I said it for you, clones. You don't need to waste my time with that. Luca came down from the second floor. His name is Luca. He came down from the second floor. And he made his return from injury and then immediately went all Johnny idiot face with it. And the refs could have teed him up for that. And if they did tee him up for that, that would have been his 16th tech of the season, which would have automatically... Johnny idiot face. Thanks, Alvin. Today would be great. Way to get that in the same segment. Alvin, Alvin idiot face. (laughs) Don't turn that up loud on me. Because I, Alvin, idiot faced you. It just came out, Alvin, idiot face. I'm sorry. Wow, dude, that's loud. You turn that down a little bit. Uh, I, I w- <laughs> this is how my engineer communicates with me live. He just starts blasting drops at me. Oh, I'm out of touch, Alvin, idiot face. <laughs> Love to see it. This dude, you, use your words, not your drops. Communicate with me directly, Alvin, idiot face. I would say, anyway, my, my point here is this guy is going with the Johnny idiot face money sign to the refs. If they hit him with a T, that's number 16 on the year, and then the Mavs lose him for a game. So they actually got over. Maybe instead of blaming, protesting, and putting the finger or pointing the finger at the ref show, they should thank the ref show. And the fact is, that bizarre, quirky, extremely weird free bucket should have just been that. An extremely weird, bizarre, quirky free bucket. And not some gigantic hot button issue tied to some bigger conspiracy about the ref show having it in for the Mavs. I mean, psst, please. Please. The refs suck for everyone every night I know you know this Dallas because everybody knows this the whole situation is just weird one of the more weird plays ever like tornadoes in LA weird but no that one goofy play did not cost you that game and you're not going to win that protest either which brings me back to my other point the only question now is since you're not going to win the protest, is how much of a fine are we talking for what Mark Cuban tweeted? Multiple tweets cracking the refs for making the worst mistake in the history of the NBA, being on the floor, or more specifically, at the scorer's table. How great would that have been if Mark Cuban... He jumped up on the scorer's table, all of my guy must, and ripped off his shirt and just started cracking on the ref show. I mean, how much money are we talking about? What are we talking about here? I mean, I know that Mark Cuban has donated a lot of money to the ref show or to charitable causes because of the ref show over the years. But think about this for a minute. 
This isn't money that he's going to pull out of the ashtray in the Phantom. This is not money that he's going to pull out of the couch cushions in the mansion. Remember, he once got tagged 500 gur for cracking Ed Rush. Another 500 gur for a goaltending call against the Hawks in 2020. How about that $600,000 bill about fixing the officiating in the league? Like, I'm not going for a lame bid here, but we're like practically going the price is right. Guess the fine. Guess the fine. Guess the fine. I mean, if we were, if we were turning this into a price is right gig and we were guessing the fine, uh... Jim and Jim, what's your bid? Seven hundred grand. And then we move to the next guy, and the next idiots turn around, looking at the audience, because none of these idiots can ever make a decision on their own. Like they got to get it from their boy or their wife or their high school teacher in the back row. Seven hundred grand and one dollar. A hole. That guy. That guy. Effectively squeezing me out, rendering my bid meaningless. Hey, hey, rando next to me who couldn't make a decision on their own, way to cut my legs out from underneath me with that 700 grand and a dollar bid. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Kelvin Sampson is my guest. Kelvin, great to have you back. How are you? I'm good, Jim. How about you? Doing great, Kelvin. Doing great. Always good to visit with you. So that is four straight straight Sweet 16s. I want to say for the program, it's a great accomplishment in and of itself. It's something you're used to. But let me ask you, does it feel like business as usual, or does this feel a little bit different this time around? I think business is usual because of our approach to everything we do. You know, I wouldn't say we're monotone, but we're, we're just, there's not a lot of highs and lows with us. Um, you know, it's, you know I listen, it's the first time I've heard somebody say out loud on uh, our schedule, our record. When we said 33-3, and three, you would think, okay, that's a powerhouse record, but we've had so many games where we struggled the first half and had to win the second half. So had a great first half and, and kind of fell apart a little bit the second half and and you're winning, and you're winning, and you're winning, but at no point in time does it ever feel easy or feel like we're dominating. You know, we, we've, we've struggled in so many games. Now, early in the year, winning at Oregon gave us some confidence at the time. Winning at Virginia gave us some credibility and confidence at the time. And then going undefeated on the road in conference, 9-0, and um, I don't remember, other than maybe one or two, any of those games being, quote-unquote, easy. So uh, that, that's why I would say it doesn't feel different. It just feels like, you know, we lost four senior starters on last year's team, and, and most of the guys we've replaced them with are kids that's coming off major surgery uh, or freshmen. 
So this is a completely new team from last year. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it challenging. And uh, proud, proud of this group for sure of what they've accomplished thus far. Kelvin Sampson joining us. I hear what you're saying, Kelvin. Like, you're right. When you look at it on paper, 33-3 and sounds like absolute domination. It sounds like yeah. maybe there were times where it was easy. You know, I was talking to my guy Eric Musselman also the other day, and Musk made the point, Kelvin, I know you'll agree, nothing is easy. It's not easy to win. It's not easy to win in the tournament. It's not easy to advance. None of this is easy. You know, it's interesting when you say that it's business as usual because we're almost monotone. What I find interesting about that statement is you might be, quote, almost monotone, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of love in that program. How would you describe the brotherhood that is Houston Cougar basketball? You know what I love about our our program is that um, everybody everybody doesn't get treated uh, um, the same necessarily as far as roles and things. But uh, everybody, everybody has a, the same role in the program in that the, the coaches, are gonna, we're going to coach them hard. We're going to hold them accountable. And I think that's where they, they get their bond is that if you mess up, if you don't do the right thing, you know, we're going to get on you and hold you accountable. And they've all been through that. So, so nobody gets a special treatment or preferential treatment. Uh, Marcus Sasser is no different than Terrence Arsenault, who's no different than um, Emmanuel Sharp, Jamal Shedd. Um, and I think because these kids come from good backgrounds, they have good families, uh, they play for good high school coaches or good AAU coaches, um, you know, we, don't, we get to coach basketball and not have to worry about uh, dealing with discipline problems. And that's a, that's a big advantage early is you get the teaching coach and not, not always bringing kids to your office like you're the principal, put them in detention or something. So, um, uh, and that creates a brotherhood. You know, these kids know that they're playing for something bigger than themselves. And in this day and age, that's, that's more difficult to achieve than ever before because of all the rewards that can somehow become distractions that are out there for them, whether it's NIL or social media agents and there's so many things out there to distract these kids and and you've got to have a strong culture within your program so they'll remember and not forget why we're here and why we're doing this houston head coach kelvin sampson joining us you know you have that culture Kelvin, you and I have talked about the fact that on some level it's a family business, and I say that because, for those who don't remember, your son Kellen is the team's top assistant. Your daughter Lauren is the director of basketball ops. Family and business, Kelvin, do not always work out. I know because I worked in the family business, and my father fired me. Business is business. I got to know, or I want to ask, what's it like to work with Kellen and Lauren, and would you still be doing it if they were not by your side? Well, Jim, that's probably the best question I've been asked the entire year. Um, I don't know if I would be. Um, you know, we all learn from someone. You know, we, 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 live, we live lives where we have to learn from mistakes. And um, this might be a newsflash to certain people, but we all make them. <laughs> you know, mistakes are part of life. It's not the mistakes. It's how you respond to them, obviously. Um, so my, my father was a high, 
basketball coach at the time of segregation um, and nine-month contracts. That means that three months a year, he had to figure out how he was going to feed his family and put food on the table. My school closed for the fall. He, he's, you know, June, July, and August, he had to hustle. So my dad taught driver's education. He worked at tobacco markets, um, um, picking up back off the floor and putting them in sheets and send them to uh, uh, plants around North Carolina and Virginia. Um, he sold Lincoln Life life insurance. He sold World Book Encyclopedias. He just worked. And, and, and that, that taught me a lot. Um, and I've tried to bring that same work ethic to my, to my kids, Kellen and Lauren. Um, and, and they're like that. So they're, they're not, they're not people that feel like they're, you know, above anybody else. They don't feel, they don't feel that way. So they're, they're hard workers. Uh, and I think that's been the key to our program is that everybody's, everybody is, uh, has the same expectations. And if you don't do what's expected, you're going to be held, uh, accountable. And that's the standards that we've set here. But those two, those two are a, a big reason why we've been successful. You know, the old head coach probably gets way too much credit. I, I have such a wonderful staff. My starting point guards on my 2002 Final Four and my 2003 Elite Eight team, Hollis Price and Qantas White, they've been right there with us shoulder to shoulder every step of the way. So it, it is family. It's uh, family, family. And it's basketball family, and it's, it's been a pleasure for me to work with these uh, Kellen and Lauren and Hollis and Qantas because they've, they've improved so much, and they have so much to do with the success of this program. Awesome. Just awesome. Kelvin Sampson joining us. Kelvin, before you go, Miami is the ACC champ for a reason, man. They're good. They're really nice. What kind of thoughts do you have as you watch them on tape, and might they be the best offensive team you've seen this year? No question. No question. They are. Uh, Miller, Miller, you know, Wong is the ACC player of the year. And if you talk to the coaches in the ACC, uh, the one that they talk about right with Wong is Miller. You know, he's old school game, smart, crafty, tough, knows how to play. Uh, Nigel Pack, the kid that transferred from Kansas State, say little keg of dynamite, uh, great range, quick, uh, smart, uh, old, um, uh, they've got a coach that I could um, explain exactly or describe the same way I just described their players. He's, he's, he, Jim knows what he's doing. He's been around. There's nothing he hasn't seen. Uh, um, what he's done at the University of Miami is incredible. But that their starting lineup is uh, is an issue. The kids that don't get talked about enough though is Omir, the, the five man. You know, he's, they run a five-out offense a lot. And a lot of times he's a trigger man, straight screener roller, a passer. But he's probably the best two-way rebounder we face. We face maybe a better defensive rebounder or somebody just as good an offensive rebounder. But nobody can do both. Uh, he had 17 his last game, uh, 14 the game before that. So he's, in the first two rounds, he had 31 rebounds. Are you kidding me? You know, um, we have guys that get eight or nine rebounds. We're excited. Hmm. This kid's averaging almost 16 rebounds a game in two games against two good teams. So they're good at everything. 
you know, on our way to the Elite Eight last year, we had to beat the Big Ten champs in Illinois, Pac-12 champs in Arizona. Thus far this year, um, we played uh, Auburn, who's a very talented team, and now you got to play the ACC champs. But you know what, Jim? That's that's what it's all about. If you go to advance, you don't have to play. That's how it is. That's how it is, Kelvin. You know it. You know it. Kelvin, listen. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Still kind of hard to believe, but baseball had an actual moment this week. A legit moment. Even tougher to believe that that moment came out of all things the World Baseball Classic. A moment so legitimately epic that I'm still talking about it. A moment so legitimately epic that I would like to hear it, Alvin, one more time, if you don't mind. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out! Otani strikes out Trout, and Japan's back on top of the baseball world. So, Rogues comes in yesterday, my son Logan. I said, yo, you check out Otani, Flame Trout. He goes, he didn't flame him. He got him with his slider. I'm like, don't correct the dad. I know, dude. I know, dude. He, he literally, he dropped that on me. It was great. You don't like that cup. I don't like that cup. I'm like, hey, Junior, you know how many hours of programming I've done today? Yeah, yeah, I know. Where was Alvin when I needed him to drop the hammer on the kid? Don't correct the dad. Problem was, he was right. But that's always the problem when I said, Alvin, don't. How do you run that guy? Don't correct the host. Don't correct the dad. Yes, Logan, I know he got him with a slider. And then when I told him that, he's like, yeah, well, he didn't flame him. I'm like, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right, son. I was trying to connect with you, son. You pitch. He pitches. It's baseball. Father-son moment. Anyway, it, we're trying to have a moment here, son. Baseball had a moment. Now I'm trying to have one with you, son. I know you want to go back to the gym and eat more food. Logan's amazing, man. Now he's just rocking like tank tops, no shirts, all day long. I've never seen a kid happier with the way they look than my kid. Or happier to correct his old man than my kid. Rogan Loam. Rogan That's the one time that I did not hit him with a scrumptious. There's nothing scrumptious about you correcting the old man, even if you're right. And he was. Man, the weather here is so bad that all these games keep getting pushed back. We're going to end up playing an entire season like in four days. Rogues, you're going to get a start, yo. You'll probably get a couple of starts. You'll be hanging. Then we'll see. Then we'll see how sharp you are. Anyway, so it doesn't get any better than that. The two best players in the sport, two of the best players in the history of the sport, who happen to be teammates that never get any kind of run because they're never ever on a big stage, showing what they could do on the big stage, because every great player in the history of the world wants to know how they'll do on the biggest stage, and those two two dudes aren't even allowed on the big stage. 
They're like at Coachella playing on that way out there side stage. They're not allowed anywhere near the actual stage. And then they finally get there, and this moment's incredible. Never mind that it was not in a major league game, but it was still amazing. And even more amazing than the moment itself is that people actually cared. And even more amazing than people actually caring is that people actually saw it. They watched. You can't have a moment if nobody cares. You can't have a moment if nobody watches. But people did care. And people did watch. And there are cold, hard TV ratings to back this up. USA Japan drew about 5.2 million viewers Tuesday night. That was up 69% from the WBC WBC final in 2017. Remember how I said yesterday that the 2017 tourney didn't even move the needle because the needle was bored. The needle probably fell asleep. Yeah, well, the needle was alert and awake and bouncing. Viewership actually peaked at around 6.5 million people during that epic Trout Shohei showdown. All of which means this. The World Baseball Classic on Tuesday drew more people than any regular season MLB game on FS1 since 2011. It's amazing. And it drew more people than all but one FS1 postseason game last year. And that's not even accounting for the obscene number of people watching in Japan. I just said it peaked at about six and a half mil here. It was estimated to be closer to around 50 million in Japan that saw that, as in 5-0, or maybe even more, all of which is why I have to give it to baseball because they actually had a moment, a moment where people actually cared, a moment where baseball, once again, actually really did matter. This is what baseball has been chasing. And you know what? You know what the WBC did not have? A pitch clock, shift rules, big floppy pizza box bases, i.e. all of MLB's brilliant ideas to try to get people to care about its game. So what do they do at this moment? What happens with the moment? Yesterday, the league drops a memo outlining tweaks to said rule changes based on feedback from spring training. And the memo caught fire on social media because the memo included harsh new regulations for, and wait for it, this is a real thing, I can't believe it, harsh new regulations for bat boys and bat girls. Listen to this, according to my dude Jeff Passan, quote, New standards will be enforced for bat boys and bat girls whose ability to quickly retrieve equipment will help efforts to speed up the game. According to the memo, the league will evaluate the performances of bat boys and bat girls and could ask teams to replace them if their performance is considered substandard. End of quote. Like, I keep waiting for this to be some fake Jeff Passan account where we all got trolled. There is no way that's a real memo from Major League Baseball. Critiquing the bat kids and their performance. And if they're not up to snuff, they're going to get broken off. But it is real. That was actually in a Major League Baseball memo, probably signed in crayon by Bobby Manford. 
I mean, I'm, MLB literally went viral the day after they had this incredible moment because they plan on cracking down on bat people. Because we all know if there's a problem with baseball, it is the slow, lazy, lackadaisical, candy-assed bat kids. Baseball has been so desperate for any kind of momentum whatsoever. Any kind of juice, any kind of buzz, anything to get some real energy. And then they get it, and they almost immediately give it all back and then get themselves roasted for their, quote, new standards for bat boys and bat girls. Like, you couldn't even make up something this stupid. What? What about the glove kids up the sideline watching the back of those warming up? You couldn't retrieve? You didn't go over the fence to bring that one back? Even for Major League Baseball, this is like next-level idiotic. It doesn't even make sense. The league office is really going to step in and make a team break off a bat kid. Imagine that for a second. Hey, yo, bat kid. Hey, you, nine-year-old. The GM needs you. Why don't you head up to his office, close the door behind you, and then the GM's going to be like, hey, kid, love your passion. Love your passion for the game. Love your energy. You're fired. Hit the bricks. Take your bat with you. The commish called and said your time's on the stopwatch from the on-deck circle to home plate have dipped. Oh, and that one time you dropped the bat, and it took you too long to pick it back up. There is a new standard here, and the standard is the standard, so pack up your crap, and security will escort you off the premises. Next time, hustle, kid. Hey, and don't let the door hit you in the ass either. It's like the most baseball thing ever. If the WBC, being a legitimate smash hit, is incredibly surprising, this is the exact opposite. This is the most on-brand MLB bullcrap ever. Who sits around and comes up with this stuff? I'd love to meet that person. It's also the most baseball thing ever that baseball is absolutely obsessed with shaving every single second possible off the length of games. Completely ignoring the fact that people will watch They'll watch a long ball game as long as they're actually seeing something interesting. They were interested on Tuesday night, so they tuned in. And they stayed tuned in. It's that simple. As always, Bobby M. is making this way more complicated than it needs to be. Now, I'm not saying that shorter games are a bad thing. They're not. The pitch is to make games significantly shorter. Reports from spring training are that the games are actually 25 minutes shorter than they were before. That's good. That's great. So what do you say you give the bat boys and the bat girls a break? You don't need to shave precious seconds off the game by threatening bat kids. It's not the bat people's fault that young people stop caring about baseball. In fact, hey, Bobby, check this. Check this, Bob. Bat boys and bat girls are the only young people that actually still love the game. Why are you firing them? You're firing the only people under the age of 240 that still love the game. They're the people that you're trying to get in the first place. Man, lay off the bat boys and the bat girls, Bob. 
You don't need to waste your time evaluating their performances. You need to figure out how to make people care as much about regular season baseball as they do the World Baseball Classic. And I promise you, I promise you, the answer is not to bleep can bat kids. You can't make that crap up. And that's a real thing. You want to drop a pizza box on the first baseline and at second base and third base and home plate, fine. Fine, go ahead and do it. Telephone books, pizza boxes, whatever the hell you want. You really are timing the bat kids? Let me ask you this. Do they get sent down to the bat kid miners? Is there a bat kid farm system you could send them to? Do they have to go to the Bat Kid Independent League? Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. The uh, the Giants, they sent me to Fresno. What do you mean they sent you to Fresno? Fresno's not in the big leagues. Neither am I, Dad. They're calling up a golden retriever. He has four legs and runs faster. And is more obedient. He's putting up incredible times in Des Moines. Mom, sweetheart, why are you crying? They fired me. Who fired you? You don't have a job as a bat girl. Honey, what do you mean? Yeah, Bob Manfred said that I don't pick up the bat fast enough. It's okay, honey. There's lots of bat jobs. and No, there's not. Passing must have been like, oh, dude, I can't wait to thumb this out. Unbelievable. Like, like baseball has this incredible moment. A moment that could have jumped the day. I would have talked about it again. It was that good. Show heavy trout. And they gave almost all of it back in one memo about bat kids not being good enough or fast enough or proficient enough. The world saw the strikeout, but Manfred saw the bat kid. The world saw the strikeout, and Manfred's like, look at that kid just jaking it to get the bat back to the dugout. Look at that kid over there drop that bat, too. You get those kids in my office stat. Get peace of my mind. Hey, Commissioner, are you sure you want to do that? You see the numbers on Shohei v. Trout? You see the number? I, I don't care about that. You see how long it took that kid to get that bat back to the bat rack? Jakes. Man, get those knees up, kid. Run. Run. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody. 
the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? Rodney Terry is my guest. Rodney, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great today, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. So let me ask you, you are a Texas guy through and through. You grew up there. As I mentioned, Rodney, you coached with Rick Barnes for nine years. I mean, the whole thing is just so wild. Did you ever think that you would work your way back to UT, end up leading this program? Like, I get that you have to be exactly where your feet are, but the whole thing, is it just so surreal on some level, even to you? Well, you know what, Jim? Never in my wildest dreams that I would—I uh, thought I'd be back at uh, at the University of Texas coaching. Uh, always thought I'd make my way back to Austin at some point because I love Austin, uh, but but never back at the University of Texas coaching. So yes, it has been very surreal and uh, but an incredible incredible experience. Rodney Terry, my guest. So what about the process itself? Like, what was it like to step in midseason following the suspension and eventual firing of Chris Beard and get control of the situation and then ensure that nobody lets go of the rope and that everybody remained committed to one another and keeping the main thing the main thing? How did you do that? Well, it wasn't easy. I mean, we, you know, we had, we assembled a really good staff uh, for one and, uh, um, we had great chemistry with our staff. Our team already had really good chemistry uh, from the start of the summer and into the early fall. So we had a good group of older guys that, that also had great leadership uh, from the team as well. Um, I was already coaching and in front of the guys, um, you, know, for the, the, you know, the last year and a half. So, you know, stepping in and, and being in front of those guys, they were used to seeing me in that, in that type of capacity. So, you know, I think with everyone stepping up into another level in terms of our staff and, and also, you know, the commitment level from our team, um, you know, we've been able to stay the course this season. Talking to Roddy Terry, I love this. You pretty much start every single day, right, by telling your players, it's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be alive. Why do you start most or every day like that? And when you tell them that, what do you want them to hear and think? You know what, Jim? I, I got that from one of my former coaches, uh, I played football and growing up in the state of Texas, everybody has to play football. So I, I played football all the way through high school. And I had a high school coach who had played for Bear Bryant. He's one of those junction boys. And he was a tough, hard-nosed guy, but he come into practice every day. And he said, it's a great day to be alive, man. And we look at him like he was kind of half crazy a little bit. But, but, uh, but you know, as you got older, you really learn to respect. Every day is, is, is a privilege to be here and, uh, and be granted another day to try to have a an incredible day. So I, I always said that to all my teams, and it was something I picked up from my high school coach. See, I think that's great, Rodney, what you just said, that having grown up there, you had to play football. You're in Texas. Everybody plays football, which is interesting because it's a football state, football town there, football school. But Steve Sarkeesian was saying the other day that he texts you after every single game. He called you an inspiration, in fact. What's that mean to you to hear that from him, that you're an inspiration to him? Well, it means a great deal. I mean, you know, at the University of Texas, uh, our coaching fraternity on our campus is elite. We have the best of the best. Coach Sark's uh, in the process right now of bringing Texas football back to the top uh, as well. He's done an incredible job in the short time that he's been here. And and uh, a lot of respect for him and his program in terms of what he's doing, you know, from the football side of things. Uh, they've been so supportive. And I think all of our head coaches on our campus are very supportive of one another. And uh, we're all pulling for each other to, 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 again, try to be the best that we can be 
uh, in our individual sports. Rodney Terry's joining us. We're talking about the Longhorns. Rodney, you, of course, have famously devoted and dedicated this season to your father, who you lost back in August. You already coach his son, and you've talked about what he meant to you, obviously, but what he meant to so many people, so many people that he coached, so many lives that he touched. If you could, can you take another moment and tell me, what was your dad like? And if he were here right now, what would he tell you ahead of arguably the biggest game of your life? Well, he's a pretty witty guy to begin with. I mean, I think his personality, uh, people just love being around him and the way he carried himself. And he always made everybody feel comfortable around him. And, uh, you know, but also in terms of working with young people, I thought he did an incredible job with always, you know, uh, putting guys on great paths to, and, and sharing a great vision in terms of what they could be in the future. And uh, just had so much impact on, on young people. Um, you know, at, at our service, so many people said so many things about him. Um, you know, if I could just be half the man that he was in terms of the way he had, you know, an impact on people, uh, I'd be living a really good life. Rodney Terry, my guest, I know this. I lost my father too. And one of my favorite things in life is when people who knew him, people who worked with him, people who did business with him would tell me stories about him. I'm like, really? That? I, I used to get such a kick out of that. So I know what you're talking about. Let me ask you this, Rodney. I'm a watch guy. Watch guys, no other watch guys. We stick together. I know you gave your dad a watch. That's a really personal thing. That's deeply personal. If you gave your father a watch, what kind of a watch was it? And then what happened to the watch? Because with every great watch, there's a great story behind that watch. No, for sure. You know, we're the one percenters, you know, you know, watch guys, the one percenters. Not a lot of people out there, you know, that are fond of, you know, spending money on, on nice watches and, and uh, have a fondness for that, uh, but but he and I shared that. We shared that with, along with shoes. But but I gave him one of my one of my GMTs, one of the first watches that I ever bought in terms of being an expensive watch, a Rolex watch. And uh, um, with it being one of the first, it was very sentimental to myself. And I wanted to share that with him. And you know, he didn't know I was giving him that watch. And when I did, man, it it really knocked his shoes off. And uh, he beamed with pride every time he had that watch on. And and uh, he really babied that watch a lot in terms of loving it. So, um, you know, took a lot of pride in having it. So, you know, when he, when he passed, I was like, you know what? You know, I'm going to wear that watch at every game. He always got nervous at games as well. He could never really finish games out. He, at games that I was coaching, he'd always go and walk away for a little bit and come back and say, hey, did we win? But, but I always wanted to have him close to me. And uh, I vowed to my mom that I was going to wear uh, – you know, that watch in every single game that I coached for the rest of my career so I could always have him with me there on the sideline. Ronnie, I love every every second of that response. I love the way you laid that out. I love that you said that we are the 1% because you're right. Everybody looks at their phone. They don't want to watch. They don't want to pay for a watch. Watch people do stick together. Number two, I love that you referenced what it was because you know I was going to ask. It was a GMT. Number three, I love, and, and I get this, man. I understand this. When you, quote, make it or you finally have enough money to buy that one nice piece and you take that step up, you always remember the first one. I love that you gave it to your dad. I love that you have it and you still wear it. I love everything about that response. It's really awesome. Let me ask you really quickly about the team. It's very clear how your players feel about you. And I say that because, one, they state it. They're upfront about it. They say how they feel about you, and I see how hard they play for you. How do you feel about that group? When you see them, what do you think about them, and how do they make you feel? Well, I love our guys, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we were able, fortunate enough to get seven guys to come back from last year's team that, uh, 
have done a great job defending our culture this year and, and, and really wanted more in this season. Um, you know, those guys, they're extremely hard workers. Uh, they have great character. And uh, I just love being around them. I mean, you know, I, I never stopped being myself. You know, Coach Beard obviously started the season as the head coach. And then when I stepped into that role, you know, I didn't try to come in and try to be Coach Beard. I just tried to continue to be Coach Terry. And I think those guys really respected that and, uh, and, and really, really bought into what we were trying to get done for this season. So let me ask you about that before you go. For instance, you're right. I mean, this whole interim thing, like, yeah, you are the interim head coach right now, but you were a head coach. You were a head coach for 10 years. You were a head coach at two different programs. So you've done this before. I'm kind of curious, like, did you think to yourself, and I would imagine you would, having grown up the way you did and processing everything the way you did, did you ever think to yourself, if I get another opportunity, here's what I would do differently, and what have you done differently now with this opportunity? Well, I came to the University of Texas, uh, one with the, you know, joining Chris and being a co-head coach here at the University of Texas uh, with the with the uh, the mission to come back and try to win a national championship. And uh, I understand how powerful the Texas brand, you know, is. And I've been a part of that and been a part of us at, at the highest level of uh, having success in, in, in basketball at this university. And uh, with that in mind, I had an idea that I was going to be able to come back here and help us try to win a national championship. And try to be a power five head coach again myself. Uh, I think having taken a year off, uh, put a lot of things in perspective though, in terms of how I wanted to come back and and be be a best version of myself as a head coach again. I wanted to to really enjoy it a lot more than I did the previous 10 years being a head coach and and uh, really soak in every day and uh, um, try to have a smile on my face and, and enjoy working with the guys every single day. So I know what you'll say to this, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. I- talk to too many coaches to know otherwise but it is so hard to be where you are right now it is so hard to get to the tournament it's so hard to win a game in the tournament it's so hard to advance to this I understand that you're locked I mean you are locked in with what's right in front of you having said that you've had an amazing season personally is there any part of you that is at all frustrated that that interim label has not been lifted yet Well, I'll tell you what, Jim, I, I mean, we've been so lost in the season and, uh, you know, enjoy working with these guys every single day. Um, you know, I, I've said to our guys from the very beginning, you control what you can control. And uh, our administration has been great. They, they really have. They've had my back from the very beginning. And uh, um, throughout the whole process, they've been tremendous in, in supporting what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, uh, you know, our, our other head coaches on campus have been very supportive. Um, you know, and, and again, right now we're laser focused. We have an incredible matchup with with a with a really good Xavier team, well coached team. Sean Miller's uh, one of the best coaches in the business, and uh, we know we're going to have an incredible challenge come tomorrow night. But uh, it's been a great journey, and uh, we we hope to keep this thing moving forward. All right, so one quick follow, and I'll let you go. What about Xavier? You know, you know they can shoot the heck out of it. We know this. What else do you see in the film, and what are your biggest challenges when it comes to them? Well, they're a really good offensive team. I mean, they can really push the ball and play in transition. You know, 80 points a game. They're one of the best, you know, three-point shooting teams in the country. Sule Boom has had a phenomenal year. Uh, I coached Sule for three years at UTEP, and uh, he's uh, he's one of the best, you know, not only best players I've ever coached, but one of the best person that I've ever coached as well. A fierce competitor, and uh, he's had a great season. But their team's had a great season. They can play inside with Nunji inside there, and, 
Hunter's playing really well for them, but they've got a great cast of guys and they've had an incredible season as well. So they're going to put a lot of pressure on us to get back and really try to defend and guard a, a really good offensive team. Such good matchup. You've got to deal with them, but they have to deal with you. The Longhorns are the two seed in the Midwest. They're going to play Xavier, the three tomorrow night in Kansas City. The interim head coach of the Longhorns is Rodney Terry. Rodney, I know you got a lot going on, an awful lot going on. I really appreciate the visit. So good to have you on the show. Good luck tomorrow night. Jim, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate you, too. Good luck, Coach. Rodney Terry joining us. Love that conversation. So, like I said, back-to-back. We're trying to get you as many Sweet 16 coaches as we can prior to these matchups. That's Rodney Terry. And they got their guy. I mean, that should be your full-time head coach. I totally respect where he's coming from. He's locked in. And I know his thought process being... If we take care of what we're supposed to take care of, the rest will take care of itself. And he's right. But I don't need to see any more from him. There's your next head coach at UT. Players absolutely love him. And he obviously stepped into an extremely challenging situation. And they responded very quickly. I mean, he kept that thing together. And they have had an amazing run thus far. Good matchup, though. Really tough matchup. So when we come back, you can react to any of this. Now is the time to get going on the beefs, all right? So now we're already at 10:13. Beef segment, top of hour number three, 11 o'clock straight up. Start dialing 1-800-636-8686. Hit me up on Twitter with a beef, at Jim Rome. Email me a beef, rome at haveatake.com. So just got into it with Kelvin Sampson. Family businesses. What's that got to do with this? Old Trapper. A family business. A family-run business. Why do I bring that up? I think that's one of the biggest reasons why Old Trapper Beef Jerky is so amazing. Because that's an amazing family that runs an amazing business with an amazing product. Old Trapper. Make sure you choose Old Trapper. You can actually see the quality right through their Ionic Clearview packages. This is not a coincidence. They want you to see what you're buying. That's why they have these Clearview packages. That way you know exactly what you're getting. Then when you have the product, every single bite of Old Trapper is tender. It's never tough because they use just the best ingredients. From their lean strips of beef, which are seasoned with top quality spices, to the real wood-fired smoke, Old Trapper delivers quality in every single bite. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? And don't forget, the beef segment is at the top of our number three, Old Trapper. You're listening to The Jim Rome Show. Sometimes we start with the calls. Sometimes we start with the written beefs. Today, we start with the written beefs. Remember, the ground rules. There really are no ground rules. Just make sure that it is appropriate enough that I can read it or hear it or say it on daytime radio and TV. Keep that in mind. All right, so let me start first with the written ones. My beef is with stupid gas pumps that won't easily stop on an even dollar amount. I hate it when I stop at $38.95, $97.98, and then it shoots up to $39.01. Finally, after the third or fourth time, I get it to stop at 42 bucks. People that are OCD like me understand my dilemma. 
I do, Mike. Mike in Nashville, I understand. Because when you go in there, assuming that it's going to be okay at 39.03, you don't have that little penny thing. And then you get 97 cents back, and then you're pissed. Rome, my beef is with flip phone guy. Well, I don't know, dude. I'm going to have to stop you right there. I don't have it in me to be a flip phone guy, but damn, I respect him. Whenever I see, I'm going to stop right there. I, I never interrupt your beefs or, or not allow them. But when I see flip phone guy, I make flip phone guy. I don't ask, I make flip phone guy take a picture of me with flip phone. And then he gets my actual phone number and I want that picture. I want a picture with flip phone guy because it's like meeting a celebrity. Then I get an autograph and then I've even asked flip phone guy to be on the show. I, I disagree. This dude's like, hey, man, he's like overwhelmed. Obviously, he's flip phone guy. He doesn't want any of that extra stuff. He has a flip phone. And here I am like treating this guy like he's Robert De Niro in his prime. Rome, my beef is with flip phone guy. Nobody cares that you've had the same phone since 03. I'm going to stop you right there. I absolutely care. That's why I love that guy. One of the best days of my life was when the Razor dropped back in the day. Remember how badass that phone was? The Motorola Razor. Look it up. Look it up. And I remember having that phone because I'm still to this day the guy that will get the phone the first day it comes out. I had one. Some kids were like, yo, 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 look at the old guy over there with the Razor. They were talking about me. thought it was awesome. No, you can't cut paper with that, Alvy. It's just a badass flat phone, man. I loved it. Loved the way it felt. Loved the form factor. Can you believe I've only gotten through like a sentence and a half of this beef? I've never been so derailed by a beef. I've spent four minutes on a line and a half of a beef. Rome, my beef is with flip phone guy. Nobody cares that you've had the same phone since 03. Nobody cares that you drive your truck with the tailgate down for better gas mileage. Nobody cares about the 19-foot-tall antenna that you rigged on that truck so you can actually get a signal on that relic that you wear in a leather holster on your hip. But I do care that I have to sit and wait for you to press six twos, three sevens, and five sixes to type a five-letter name into your contacts. Dude, that's good. I actually take back what I said. I had not read the entire thing. That's awesome. Aaron in Sacktown. Post Marome. My beef is with my four-year-old niece's head softball coach. She has my niece batting eighth in the lineup when she leads the team with an on-base percentage and RBIs. Do you even know anything about softball, you moron? Signed, Tristan. Tristan, dude, you're going to have a long, long life as a softball slash athlete uncle if you're going that hard and she's only four. You're going to be like Tristan Reyna. You'll be like the family Reyna. 
This guy's right to it. My beef? I don't like it when I drop my credit card in the drive-thru at the hamburger stand. Harold. What a boy, Harold. Way to go. That's what I'm talking about, man. Get in, get out. Jim, my beef is with lazy and irresponsible dog owners. One in particular. This woman shows up to the dog park at four in the afternoon wearing a bathrobe and pajama pants. She lets her dog off the leash, parks her ass on a bench, and lights up a heater. There are no smoking signs everywhere. Meanwhile, her dog is crapping everywhere (laughs) and trying to hump every dog in the park. Guess who isn't picking up the poop? The woman chain smoking and staring at her phone. Clean it up and do better. Andrew in Oregon. War Jungle Tourette's. No one gets my jokes, but I don't care. Good one, dude. I got that. That was funny. Dr. Jano told me she was at South Coast Plaza the other day. South Coast Plaza is an amazing mall that's in Orange County. I mean, really high-end. Super, super, super high-end. One of the nicest malls in America, I would imagine. She said she saw some woman with a dog inside the mall, and the dog just started urinating all over the floor. And this woman went scrambling to one of the restaurants and just started ripping napkins. And this guy looked at Dr. Jano and said, oh my gosh, she just pulled like 40 napkins. This dog's just urinating all over the pristine marble of South Coast Plaza. And the dog owner ripped every napkin in the dispenser. And she's just down on her knees wiping it all up. I mean, what a scene. Good. Exactly. Well done, Albie. Steve from the Northwest writes, Rome, my beef is with my coworkers who knock on my office door and they proceed to open it without me replying to come on in. Hey, jackass, the door was shut because I've got a few deadlines that are due. I don't have time to talk about your dumb turny bracket. At least they knock, dude. Brian C and SP, Jim, I have beef with people at drive throughs reading the menu before they order. You're at In-N-Out. It's burgers, fries, and shakes. This isn't Fleming's. Order and move on. War in and out putting the Jim Rome snagger style burger on the menu. Dude, it's not the Cheesecake Factory where the menu's longer than a phone book. The Jim Rome snagger style burger. That would be my second, second best thing that ever happened to me other than Ike throwing me and the XR4TI on the menu. A snagger-style burger. You know what that'd be. Grilled onions, add ketchup. Let's see here. The Brian Robbins is in. I have a beef with any and all self-checkout lanes that are closed. Good news, Home Depot. I'm here for my two-minute shift at the scanner. Trust me, I've got this. Open the bleeping register. Hashtag what's your beef. That's why he's the real Brian Robbins. Hey, Drew Jumpman. My beef is with resealable bags. They are barely openable. Never mind fumbling to reseal. Come on, do better. Best regards, Kennifer. Kennifer, right? No, no, I mean, Kennifer, right? Like, I had a brawl with a resealable yesterday. 
I feel you. It's true. Van Smack, my beef is with, quote, drunk in public birthday girl. I understand you're excited, but dressing like a princess and yelling, woo, throughout the restaurant to get attention is unnecessary. If I wanted to see an elephant, wow, if I want to see an elephant parade in a sash and crown, I would watch Babar. <laughs> Damn, Vaughn. My beef is baseball mom that never stops screaming at games, especially when she's instructing kids to do the wrong things. Kids can't even hear us coaches sit down and let us do our thing. That's funny. That's not Dodger Jano. Dodger Jano, she stopped doing this at least. But when Logan pitches, sometimes Dodger Jano, if Logs gets into a jam, Dodger Jano will be like, say something. Tell him. Tell him. I'm like, do you not know your own kid? Believe me, he thinks that's the least scrumptious thing ever. He does not want to hear my voice. Scrumptious. He got himself into the jam. He can get himself out of the jam. And believe me, he couldn't give a damn what I have to say. Unless it's me saying scrumptious. Scrumptious. JJ Sportmo. Tense Mac. My beef. These clown car drivers at every red light are dumping out their big gulp or that liter of cola that they just picked up from a fast food joint. Tool bags. Your Diet Coke is ruining the $20 wash and wax that I just put on my luxury sled. That's fair. I got a beef. Any a-hole who throws anything out the window. Obnoxious, man. Hey, why don't you just wait till you get to your destination and walk into a trash can? I hate that. Hey, Jay Rib. My beef is with the highway department or whoever places those speed enforced by aircraft signs on the interstate. Who the hell do they think I am? Willie Foo-Foo or somebody? Do they really expect me to believe that they'll spend as much as 20 k to send up a spy plane or some type of AWACS to catch an $80 speeder? Give me a break. They did once cause me to slow down and look up, though. Signed, Cool Carl in VA. I don't know, dude. I tend to believe those signs. Jimbo. Hey, Carl, that was cool until you glossed yourself, Cool Carl. What, awesome Carl didn't want any of that? I guess the alliteration wouldn't work then, eh? A Cool Carl? How about Carl the Kook? Kooky Carl. Jimbo, I have a beef with the hardo. I like this one already. That's a really underused word. I don't even use that word nearly much, nearly as much as I should. By that, I mean I never use it, but I'm going to start. You watch. I have a beef with the hardo behind me that feels the need to lay his hairy arm on the horn the second the traffic light changes from red to green. I'm going. Just give me a chance to peel my foot off the brake before I punch the gas. Settle down back there. Jonathan in Hoover. Agreed. Especially if I'm looking at my phone. Hey, Jim. Check that. Because of who it's from, nobody would buy that. Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is with the way yacht is spelled. I fancy myself a grammar savant. 
but I must admit that word is aggravating AF. Bella B in Calgary. You know what, Bella? I, I really like the take. I see it the other way. I think yacht is an amazing word. And I am a wordsmith too. I love words. I love words. And I've got range. I have range. I like the word hardo. And I like the word yacht. I know that Tommy's with me on this because he's Ivy. He's smart. He has good vocab. Yacht is an amazing word, actually. Bella, look at it. Look at those five letters. That, that actually, you stand corrected, Bella. It's not aggravating AF. It's cool AF. Yacht is a bitchin' word. Bitchin' is a bitchin' word. My beef is with my wife. Why is it as soon as the dishwasher stops, my wife wants to stop everything and empty it? Hey, honey, these things are still smoking, and now they're burning my digits. Let it cool down. Tim in Saratoga Springs, New York. You know what? Normally when somebody starts with my beef is with my wife, I get kind of like, eh, not cool. That's actually pretty good. Dodger Jano does not hit me with that, but you know what she does that I like, actually? Dodger Jano will drop a post-it on the dishwasher that says cleaning or clean, so we know they're clean. Dodger Jano is obsessed with the sink. Never a dirty dish in the sink. She just won't. She, it doesn't matter how late it is. It doesn't matter what her day is like. She's like, and, and not like, hey, hey, losers, clean the dishes. Like, she'll do it herself. Not, not that that makes her a legend. I'm just saying she's obsessed for some reason. Now, that said, there are other piles of things in the house that I can't get her to put away because she's got so many things. But the dish, never even a fork in the sink. Rome. My beef is with gas pump beef guy. All right, there you go. A beef in response to a beef. My beef is with gas pump beef guy. You know, they have these neat things called credit cards, yes? You know they have these neat things called credit cards, yes? No need to futz with cash. It's amazing. But my beef with gas pumps is the freaking hose. That damn thing is always coiled around like 50 times, making it practically impossible to unholster and reholster that stupid thing. Do better gas pumps. Brad in the 360, cycling degenerate. Hey, yo, I have a question. Have any of you ever driven off with the pump still in the gas tank? (laughs) I'll own it. I have. Worst look ever most embarrassing look ever how that ever happened i have no idea i'm just gonna own it i've done it only once chalk's like what happened dude everybody clowned me for one i left and i heard this sound that i was unfamiliar with and i turned around and there was the pump on the ground it fell out I didn't, I didn't pull the entire gas station with me. It dislodged, luckily. Imagine me pulling like an AM, PM behind me. Like, hey, Rome, why are you driving a convenience store behind you? 
Didn't rip the hose off. Did not rip the hose off. It didn't, like I didn't punch it. You know what I mean? Like I had to make a sharp turn. So I just kind of rolled out of there. I always roll out of gas stations slowly because there's always some AO hose coming in way too hot. So no, I didn't rip the hose out. I didn't rip the entire tank out. I didn't, I didn't rip anything out. It just fell to the ground, luckily. But it was still a pretty bad look. You know, that, that shame, that long walk of shame around the car to put it back in was pretty embarrassing. I'm like, yeah, that was me. Anybody want to take a picture of me with that? My, I'm bad, my bad. I'm sorry, my friend. I did do that once. J-Mac. To the knob who beefed about reading a drive through menu. You must be the guy who looks at the menu and says, I'll take it. Wore two buckets of jungle caramel. Jungle caramel. Duke in Vancouver. Such an amazing line. Yeah, I'll take it. Rome, my beef is with these pro... (laughs) This is strong, too. My beef is with these pro bull riders who wear a full NHL goalie helmet. Come on, man. Helmets are for beginners. You should be embarrassed of yourselves. Joe in Huntington Beach. Hey, Joe, I, got, I kind of have a feel for the kind of guy you are, so I'm going to be very careful how I say this because I don't want you to give me the hands because you're an HB, so I know you like to go. I love HB, but there are dudes in HB that like to go. They're not all like silk bra. HB can get pretty gritty. My guy, you should be embarrassed by what you did to the word embarrassed. Embockrade? You wrote, you should be embockrate of yourselves. First of all, it's not embockrate of yourselves. It's just embockrate. You should be embockrate. <laughs> I love what he said, though. Dude, pro bull riders are some of the baddest, toughest dudes ever. Something else I know because I've seen it up close. How do I know? She's getting a lot of run in this segment. She must not be listening or I'd be getting feedback. Dodger Jano loves the rodeo. Dodger Jano loves rodeo, any kind of rodeo, pro rodeo, small rodeo, Montana rodeo. We've been to all sorts of rodeos, Orange County rodeos. We went to the PBR in Vegas, you know, the big one at Thomas and Mac. Oh, man, did she love that. So I've seen these dudes. I've talked to these dudes. Man, they're badass. I mean, there's almost nothing like it. Let's go to the phones. I mean, no, no way am I getting on a bull. Not only am, not, am I not getting on a bull with a full goalie helmet, I'm not getting on a bull in full goalie pads and full goalie helmet. They're angry, and we know why they're angry. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's see what we got here. We go to... The Bay Area. Oh. Oh, what's your beef? I mean, what's up, dude? My beef is with the Boom Town Rats. You know the song. You played before the final segment. It goes something like this. Up all night. Rome, what the hell are they saying? War, hot sauce in my bag. That's kind of random. I mean, it's not random. We have done that every single segment since the start of time. 
What's not to understand? They're just staying up all night. And that's what it felt like when I hosted that show from 7p to midnight. But then again, dude, it is your beef. 1-800-636-8686. Where do you want to go, Chalk? Let's go to Boise. Ty in Boise. Hey, Ty, how are you? Hey, Jimmy, what's up, man? What's up, dude? Uh, my beef is with the DoorDash customer that selects the hand-it-to-me option. When I get to their house, I politely knock on the door. They answer it, and my senses are overwhelmed with the smell of cigarettes and animal piss. Next time, you freak, just hit the option that is leave it at the door so I don't have to be, like, killed. Unwar Bobby Manfred, that idiot weeding out kids with next-gen stats. Later. That a boy. I love that guy's brand. He's a DoorDash delivery person whose beef every single week is something about one of the customers. I love that guy's brand. 1-800-636-8686. We've done the written portion. I'm looking for the caller portion. We're getting phone calls. Are any of them good enough to go up? This guy's done it before. Ryan in Sacktown. Ryan, what's your beef this week? What's up, JR? My beef is with the arrogance of Costco sample leaks. You're not exactly Bobby Flay cooking at the Aspen Food and Wine Festival. And is it really necessary to interrogate my son about which of the five adults standing around your cart is his father? I'd be more concerned about your filthy stained shirt that looks like it came from the butcher department and grabbing a second hairnet for the whiskers on your chinny chin chin. What's up, Methylene? Unwar Costco ripping the uh, combination pizza. I'm out. All right, so I've never done this before. I'm having a thought, and I'm having a moment. Would I possibly give a golden ticket to somebody for a beef? Like, that was a funny call with a lot of different elements. That was his best call ever. Watch this, dude. I, I don't want to lower the standard or lower the bar, but that got you on the watch list, believe it or not, Ryan. That was your best effort yet. I love the comparison about the Costco sample lady acting like Bobby Flay when you're just handing out a cracker with some cheese. 1-800-636. Well done, Ryan. 1-800-636-8686. That's it. We got to get out. Now we are done. We're walking off on that. The first ever watch lister from a call during the beef segment. You know what? We're not on TV, so we didn't bring out the plastic tower beef. It's savage. I know you're a savage. That's your job, dude. Even if they can't see it, I like to bang on it so they get the sound effect. You got it, boss. Savage has got some gruse in him. Just in more not like in his intensity of his voice because nobody has that. Because gruse is gruse. And gruse, as I've always said, is 8 foot 8 and has a voice... That would relate to somebody who's eight foot eight. Jim Rome show. That guy. Does that? If I were to say to you, listen to this voice. Jim Rome show. He used to screen calls back in the day. Went on. He's had a really nice career himself. Good dude, Bruce. If I were to play that for you and ask you, how tall do you think this guy is? Jim Rome show. Would you not say seven foot fourteen? 
Good night now!